Doubt. People talk about it in hushed tones. They worry that it might get contagious and fear that their reputation will be damaged irreparably if, if anyone knows that they've got it. And it's really boring when an outbreak hits you. For me, doubt usually comes when I'm in an atmosphere of great certainty, like one of those boisterous celebration meetings where, if you're careful, you can end up with a nasal rebore from a low-flying flag. You know the feeling. The bloke next to you is headbutting a tambourine with a monotonous rhythm that is causing you to have fantasies about killing him. The lady sitting in front of you is so ecstatic about being a Christian that she's had her hands raised high in the air in praise throughout the whole meeting, including during 20 minutes of numbing notices. And the cheery red coat type leader on the platform is gushing breathy platitudes into the microphone. Don't you feel the Lord in this place? He is here. The woman in front of you stretches out and positively touches the ceiling with her worshipping fingernails. The bloke next to you is gnawing his tambourine now with rabid enthusiasm and you sigh, crushed for a moment by the burden of believing. Is all this God stuff true? Is anyone out there beyond the canvas of this tent or the plaster of this ceiling? The other time when I get mugged by doubt is when flying. Actually, I am seated right now in the innards of a rather large British Airways jet, which is aimed at America. I shall shortly be dispensing large chunks of biblical teaching to some assorted gatherings of rather nice Christian people. I am, right now, hurtling through the sky at 500 miles per hour, my trajectory carefully navigated by computers, enabling Nigel the pilot to announce the time of our projected touchdown to within a minute or two even though we are still 3,000 miles from our destination. But the laws of physics and the precision genius of computer chips do not govern my emotional and spiritual condition. At this moment, I feel less certain about my own ability to do anything useful for Jesus. I'm not sure who I doubt more, him or me. Today, while wrestling with a rather bland chicken Caesar salad at 36,000 feet, I found myself looking around the cabin and becoming increasingly unsettled about my faith just as a result of surveying the backs of the heads of my fellow passengers. What is it that they do to cause this spiritual nervous tick to erupt in me? Simple. They unnerve me because of their normality. They sit and nurse their plastic cups and appear to have no concerns about holiness or morality, about the meaning and purpose of life or the life-exploding eruption that breaks upon a soul when it discovers that there is a creator alive and well at the heart of the universe and one who knows me. I see no signs of fretfulness on their faces because of the niggling impotence of the church that professes Christ's name so boldly but witnesses to his life so pathetically. No, 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 they just sit there living another day without apparent depth or significance, mesmerised by just existing. And for a moment, I envy them. And I feel that to believe all of the time is too much like hard work. And then I begin to really worry about myself in my secret, scandalous envy. My jealousy is truly wicked. Why, I'm carrying in my bag a black leather-bound book that apparently announces that these people are lost and are themselves tiptoeing inch by inch into the black hole of a lost eternity. I berate myself. Do I believe this enough to do something about it? Am I truly convinced that these nice, pleasant people, who apparently were made from a different gene pool from the serial killers and concentration camp guards of this earth, are really so lost? Round and round the confused, fearful thoughts tumble, and for a while I feel more lost than they. And some of them shake their plastic cups with annoyance, because their ice is melting, 
and I shake my head in vain, hoping to dispel some of the ether inside my skull, but it persists, and for a good while, God seems a long way off at 36,000 feet up. The plane zooms effortlessly forward, a precision dart on course for its destination, but the cabin seems filled with fog as I reach for my laptop and begin to write this chapter. A few moments of reflection will cause me to know that actually, to live life for nothing, to merely survive, is no blessing but a true curse. But in the tired and the even mildly depressed condition that long plane flight seems to create in me, I feel battered by waves of uncertainty and disorientation. Doubt. Well, there's no magic conclusion here, no slick recipe to banish doubt for good. Just the realisation that we all suffer from it once in a while. One day, we'll see Jesus face to face, and life in the twilight zone of believing will be over forever. In the meantime, we live on the spiritual dark side of the moon, his face sometimes made distant and blurred by flesh, by life, by busyness, by fear. Resurrection will bring face-to-face -face revelation, and what a joy that will be.